You leave Draco Malfoy alone, you bastards! everyone and welcome back to house of bards this is a um and this is like a a once in a decade podcast about Mm. um you know role-playing games dungeons and dragons ostensibly sometimes it's about other things but really it's mostly just an excuse for me and alex to just i don't know I mean, this is this is the the you know the ten year reunion show, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. It's been um, it, the year is twenty fifty. Yeah. Um, you we've, know, we've both been pulled off the the other uh, less interesting but more successful podcasts that we have since gone on to make as a sort of family trees thing and come back to do this to indulge the nostalgia of a group of aging and balding fans. Yeah. I am Alex, and I'm ready to die because uh, it's very very hot. And uh, I have a desk fan next to me, which I can't turn on because the sound will interfere with the audio quality. And I have a window next to me, which I can't open because the outside noises will come in and interfere with the audio quality. So I'm just going to bake to death over the course of the next two hours of recording. Um, So that's fun. Mm. I... I am ostensibly the reason why this podcast only happens like every now and then right now, but hopefully now it will be all the time. Yeah, again. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that we can even keep to our promise of not apologizing for the podcast not being regular. It's yeah. like it has been a while. Um, so Beth has a new computer, which is fun and good because that was one of the obstructions to like actually getting to record. One of the other obstructions was that I was still in university and the number of times that I have had to repeat final year, I was like, I really don't want to fuck it up this time. Um, so good news, I guess. I graduated and Beth's computer is now good and fine. So both of those obstructions are out of the way, which is going to make it even more embarrassing when we are unable to actually increase the frequency of episodes. I would like to at least, I don't think we'll ever be able to do it weekly like we used to, but I would at least want to hope for, you know, monthly podcasts. Monthly podcasts is potentially a big ask because of Mm. editing. Like, I think really uh, one of the things that I would love to be able to do is like, offload the job of editing to somebody who is not quite so busy um unfortunately for a long time it was presumed that that would be beth and now that it's not like beth is actually busier than i am so that's yeah that's that's really sad isn't it that i'm i'm somehow busier than you that's i'm busier than you but none of it's fun that's i mean you have you have you have a job beth and that's like an obstruction to me currently (laughs) like i yeah it's an it's an obstruction to me also currently. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, jobs are okay if you enjoy them, but if they're not, it's... Uh, yeah. But, no. uh, yeah, I, I think the problem with that, though, is that any involved third party would likely want to be paid. Mm-hmm. More on that later. So, what was my starting my sentence? Right, yes. Uh, you might be forgiven for thinking, it being such a long time since the last episode, that I would be... Um, for for an episode tentatively entitled Removing the Circle of Eight that I seem to be very uh, incensed about at the time, you would think that uh, perhaps uh, my feelings about it have softened a little. Um, that is not the case, actually. I'm angrier than ever about this, and I'm ready to talk to you about it. But first, 
a point of order at the top of the show. I'm going to leave Beth out of this because I think that she has her own opinions. So I'm not going to... I'm not going to say that my personal views are representative of House of Bards as a collective entity or of other members involved in its production. So neither Beth nor Maxie, who is a reasonably frequent guest at this point. In the past, I have said that it is my personal view that if you own a physical copy of a Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition sourcebook, that I personally viewed it as ethical for you to then pirate a PDF version of that book because you are essentially, like, shortcutting a process that you could do yourself. And I still believe that that's true, but also my personal view has changed to just just fucking pirate them. Honestly, just just actively steal money from Wizards of the Coast's D&D, like, production edition specifically. Um, and should that actually, like, get back to... Uh, D&D 5th edition uh, head Mike Merles somehow. I can't imagine how it would, but maybe somebody would snitch and, you know, send it to him. Uh, hi, Mike. Um, if you don't like what I'm saying here, if you think it's uh, unfair or enraging, then uh, I will let you know that I am a queer content creator, and as such, I'm sure there are a number of uh, domestic abusers who you could send my personal details to without my permission, uh, since that seems to be how you solve other problems. Anyway, fuck Mike Merles. Fuck and, Mike uh, Merles. Pirate 5th edition, I guess. So, tentatively, way, way back in the distant past, when this when this episode was prophesied, um, its name was Removing the Circle of Eight. Uh, we're not calling it that anymore. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to talk about the Circle of Eight. It's just that I really feel, uh, having examined the subject more, the Circle of Eight is honestly a very small part of the more general problem that they represent. Um, mm. So instead, this episode is going to be called Separation of Church and State. Which uh, I am an advocate of regardless anywhere. Uh, right, yes. No, ma- no, matter, uh, no matter the country or But I think company. you're taking that like a bit more literally, because we are not in fact going I know, to yes. talk about like, D&D settings where the church doesn't have any kind of executive power over the actions of the state. That's not that's not what this is about. I mean, it is an episode, but like, no, I know what you mean. Do you all remember when 5th edition came out? It feels very recent because it's the most recent edition of the game and a lot of people are still like super into stuff like 3.5 and it's like, well, surely that means that 5th edition is very recent. And it's fucking not. Like, when when did uh, D&D 5th edition come out? 2014, which is in, I guess, in like the broad scale of tabletop role-playing games, not a long time, but it is not, like, the relatively recent point that, uh... Like, for contrast, 4th edition was over a decade ago. We're, we're, we're kind of uh, coming up on, um, like, the the 3rd edition... Yeah, 3rd edition, in, it was, like, 2000, so it's nearly 20 years old. Wow. Damn. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're basically, we're, we're a ways into D&D 5th edition's life cycle, I guess. But do you remember when uh, when it was just... I mean, some of you probably will remember when it was just, like, the Player's Handbook out. Like, they didn't even have the DMG. They were like, the Player's Handbook's going to come out, the Monster Manual is going to come out, and then, like, the DMG will be coming at some point, but you don't need it. You can just, like, play with... And you didn't, really. Like, the DMG has some, like, cool stuff in it. God, no, and you I... didn't need the DMG. I, that, mm. Honest, there are purchases that I regret. Um... Mm. <laughs> And one of like, them honestly, is the DMG, which I use. I, I There is one page in the DMG I use. 
And you don't even need to use that page. Like, no. I told Beth to use that page, but it was based on me misunderstanding a rule in the DMG. Um, but, I don't know. I feel like, honestly, the DMG is one of the books that I'm going to take issue with here on account of it making... It's, it's mouth-writing checks that its uh, successes could not cash. Um, but really, my objection is more with the, uh, the bulk of the splat books that have followed uh, the PHB. So I guess um, we would be looking at, uh, what was the first one? The Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. And honestly, the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide is probably where this went wrong. Mm. Um, but after that, we'll be talking about the, uh, like, I guess the Elemental Evil Players Companion sort of skates by, uh, like, under the radar here. Um, but there's, like, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, um, Volo's Guide to Monsters, and Mordekainen's Tome of Foes. And... Each of these books, like, I have these books, and I like them, I like these books, but they have a major problem in them. And this is a problem that permeates pretty much every decision that Wizards of the Coast have made regarding 5th edition D&D since Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide was such a flop. Because people did not like, um, like, Skag when it came out, and I think, given what happened because of that, people were unfair to the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Because here's the thing. If you're a DM like us, and you're participating in this um, this this cult of personality, I guess that we've uh, we've constructed, whether knowingly or not, you know, maybe you 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 have invented the idea of uh, shared narrative by yourself. It's a sort of natural place for um, tabletop RPGs to go. You don't necessarily want to use the setting content, the campaign setting content that has been created by the creators of the game. And obviously, for some games, this is more um, possible than others. I think um, there are some, for instance, uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games that are so eminently specific in their setting Mm -hmm. that it's like, why are you playing this game, which is going to be pretty similar to other Power of the Apocalypse, uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games, unless you want to use the setting. Yeah, yeah. Um. Like, because of QCon prep, I'm actually, like, not running my normal D&D game uh, this Monday and potentially next Monday as well. I don't know. Um, So we're playing Monster of the Week instead. And Monster of the Week, it's like, its setting is the real world. That's kind of the point. Um, But there I like, while I was looking through that, because I was like, I want to play a Powered by the Apocalypse game. And preferably, unless it's Monster of the Week, which I, you know, because I listen to Taz, so I I know that it's good. I don't really want to play, like, one that I have to pay for. So I was looking up, like, you know, what are the free-to-download ones? And there's some very interesting stuff here. Uh, There's one called Den of Thieves, which I thought looked really interesting, but unfortunately, because we're a play-by-internet group, it didn't really work for us because it involves using a uh, deck of playing cards in a way that I thought would be logistically difficult for us. Mm. Uh, But there's there's one called Ghost Lines, which was really interesting, and it's about, like, it's about working as, like, some sort of, like, Fallout motherfucker in a sort of vaguely like dishonored type um like diesel punk setting where you are somebody who pest controls ghosts off a train (laughs) and i was sort of like that sounds cool but i don't really i was like i don't want i was like i don't want to play anything that's too like specific like i was like i don't want to play anything that's like because i know some of the power of the apocalypse games are very specific like Somewhat like mm. Saga of the Icelanders as well is almost too specific for me, where like you have to like you're all Vikings and I'm like mm-hmm. Ah I'm not no 
Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's like there are some games for which this doesn't work, and I'm I'm I'm. I don't have a problem with that, right? No. Um, yeah. Like even uh, so, here's the thing: getting into Powered by the Apocalypse again made me feel like now's the time I want to make track dogs, and maybe I'll reveal a little more about what track dogs is later on. So because you know I really want to actually like go through and properly build an RPG, and I want to use the Powered by the Apocalypse system for track dogs because I think it's 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 going to work in the way the previous attempts at this project haven't. Um, Track Dogs is probably not really going to support, like, making your own setting. It's going to be very vague about the definition of the setting that it has, but the system will be the setting so on. And there are a lot of, a lot of games like that. Dungeons & Dragons and Pathfinder are not games like that, and they shouldn't be. No, and I yeah. think this is really the problem that I have with a lot of the supplemental content being released for 5th edition. Because... What Wizards of the Coast evidently figured out ahead of time was that they wanted people to buy the splat books, right? And they didn't just want people to buy the splat books, they wanted everyone to buy the splat books, or at least everybody who conceivably could be made to buy a splat book to buy one. Which meant they weren't going to go the line of writing like specific deep dives on, like for instance, a specific class or a specific race or a specific part of a campaign setting, uh, with the exception of uh, stuff like um, The Wayfarer's Guide to Eberron, which was released as a free PDF. Uh, again, more on that later. So they very quickly, when the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide had too much fluff and not enough crunch, which I would maintain was just because it was a bad choice for the first supplement for 5th edition, but there you go. They were like, okay, what we're going to do now is we're going to have um, we're gonna, every, like, thing that we release is going to be half uh, half is maybe um, too damning. It's going to be like a third um, fluff from our marquee setting, which is the Forgotten Realms, and stuff connected to it. So you can have stuff about like Alcadim and um, like Ravenloft and whatever, because they're all like interconnected stuff like that. But we're not going to do like Greyhawk or Dark, Dark Sun or whatever. Um, and in theory, again, that's fine, except I fucking hate it. It's so bad, uh, because what they've actually done in a lot of cases is make the fluff decisions that they make, not in the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, they were actually like better about this then, but they've made a lot of uh, the fluff decisions that they make have mechanical weight. And the uh, I want to talk about two major offenders here, which are Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes mm. and the giant soul sorcerer unearthed arcana which thankfully has not made its way into any official product yet so uh the giant soul sorcerer unearthed arcana um let me let me look this thing up uh so that i can explain to you what my problem is with it giant soul the giants once dwelled in a fabled realm known as astoria a paradise for their folk that reflected their mastery of the mortal realm. In time, Astoria fell, and the giants were scattered and broken. During that mythic era, the giants granted a few chosen individuals among the small folk a shard of their great power. These favoured people were caught in the same tragedy that sundered Astoria. Since that time, they have spread across the many worlds of the multiverse. Now and again, one of their descendants manifests the gifts imparted by the giants, granting them sorceress magic that allows them to command the elements and gain the might of a giant. Hey, what's he? Fuck off. <laughs> I don't know. You don't do stuff like this, right? 
because the problem with this is this is a reasonably generic um, sorcerer origin that is um, like it's not actually that good, which is probably the reason why it hasn't made its way into a, into a book yet. But it has like stuff like um, uh, this sixth level ability, which is called Soul of Lost Astoria, and that can fuck off as well. Yeah, uh, allows you to gain a benefit where um, you have like abilities that pertain to a specific kind of giant that you are ostensibly descended from or in other words you know other ways associated with and what the fuck why why are all the like level up ability names named after this this place astoria that wizards of the coast have randomly decided needs to be part of the cosmology and or history of your setting or any setting that you run this in and it's just so obnoxious um I don't understand why they need to do that and why they can't just have like generic crunch that expresses the ideas that they want with specific campaign fluff like taken out of it but maybe presented as like oh this is where the, this is like um our next campaign uh future summer yes it's gonna have guns in it and i've built a pretty extensive homebrew which is not finished yet. It has uh, subclasses for the rogue, fighter, and paladin, but I want to add one for the ranger at least. Yeah. Um, I'm actually really excited about the paladin one, even though nobody's playing it. It's like the, <laughs> the rogue is like a gunslinger, and the uh, the fighter is a musketeer, and the paladin is an inquisitor, which is like they're essentially this terrifying, like Van Helsing esque, um, like representative of the concept of fighting evil with a capital E. Uh, and then I was thinking that the ranger would probably want to be like a slayer where they would like have an opportunity to use stuff like silver bullets and they like go into the because it's supposed to be like a sort of Regency era type um, point for the second campaign. So they would like go into the woods and fight werewolves and things. Um, despite being despite me creating it because the setting has moved into this point where firearms are a thing that you need to have and like have everybody be like dealing with and there's going to be a new combat paradigm around it and whatever. The only mention of my setting, like, the thing that is not generic, is right at the beginning, where I, like, just specify when guns turned up. And then I immediately, like, but in your setting, it's probably something different. And I guess that's easier for um, for someone, uh, like, making homebrew. <sighs> the problem with a lot of this stuff coming out of Wizards of the Coast is that it feels very hostile to the concept of homebrew in general. It really feels like they're saying... We don't want you... If you're going to make a homebrew, you have to do all of the legwork yourself. We don't want you to do anything with the additional content that we're providing. And on the one hand, that kind of makes sense. But on the other, it's like, no? Because possibly I need to be able to talk about uh, Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes here. Because like the Giant Soul Sorcerer, I think, is a particularly egregious example of the problem that I have here. But... It is Unearthed Arcana. It never actually made it into the game in a supplemental book. It was released in 2018. I don't think it will because I think it's slightly too out there. It possibly might turn up in like a supplemental for a like an actual like adventure book, um, but I don't think it's going to be in a source book uh, at any point. But let's talk about Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, which has this problem but worse because Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. Uh, they are sort of doing this thing, aren't they, where they're like, we're going to have one splat book that focuses on races and then we're gonna, and monsters, and then we're going to have one that focuses on classes and backgrounds, right? That's the, the, the switch that they're doing. So they have Volo's Guide, which is like 
it's going to have a little bit of a monster manual in it, but also some races. And then we're going to have Xanathar's Guide, which has like classes and backgrounds and feats in it. And then we're going to go back to Modern Kindness Tom Foes, which has more monsters and some flavor about um, stuff in... Like, here's the thing. Some flavor about stuff in uh, in the Forgotten Realms. Like, there's a chapter called The Blood War, right? And it's like, I don't mind that, because this entire chapter is just, like, this is how this is how the cosmology of, like, devils and demons and whatever, and where tieflings come from, works in the Forgotten Realms. And it's like, I don't appreciate you putting that in my source book, because I don't care. It's not important to me. But it's not this. That's not the thing that I'm complaining about. And if they want to put it in the book, so that like people who really want to play in the Forgotten Realms will buy the book, that's fine. Yeah. Like that's that's allowed. The thing that I don't like is that if we then skip down to um, uh, demon customization tables. No, not that. Tiefling sub races. Here we go. Having tiefling sub races, whilst perhaps excessive when such content isn't available for other more standard races in the player's handbook, is really cool. What is not really cool is that they all have names pertaining to the the the, the archdevils and, and demon lords that exist in the cosmology of the Forgotten Realms, right? So there's Asmodeus, Balzabal, Dispater, Fiena, Glazia, Levistus, Mammon, Mephistopheles, and Zariel. And I'm aware, of course, that a, a number of those are taken from... I was going to say actual Christian mythology. You know, I bet it's probably um, Dante's Inferno. Yeah. Because, uh, like... Pop... Cu- God, can we call Dante's Inferno pop culture? It's weird because, like, a lot of, like, the, 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 like, pop Christian mythology is actually from Dante's Inferno and a couple of other... Like, I think Paradise Lost comes into it at some point. Um, basically, not from the Bible or any of the Apocrypha from the Bible or, you know, stuff like that. Not even the Book of fucking Mormon. <laughs> it's it's just it's just like people wrote like you know cool basically a bunch of nerds who had to be priests back when that was what you did if you were a nerd um that like really picked up on like oh people have, have written extensive like law books about christianity i guess and well, so, like, that was that was really the biggest fandom going back then so if you wanted to be like a popular it's a pretty big creator. fandom still yeah it, it, it even has those flat fandom splits where like different uh, factions in the same fandom threaten to kill each other. Oh yeah, and there Been are like there are while. like shipping wars all the time as well. Still, so it's like fine. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a mm-hmm. fandom. Yeah, <laughs> it's a point. Canon is called canon for a reason. Yep. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> Christians yeah, like, do not interact. <laughs> but th- these these are cool because they like change up the stuff that the that the tieflings do. Um, they like change like the the uh, they change the the like let's let's pick one let's pick Mammon because Mammon is like that that is a a a name that appears elsewhere in Christian mythology I'm pretty sure um it definitely appears somewhere else like this is not Wizards of the Coast do not own the name Mammon um the great miser Mammon loves coins above all else tieflings tied to him excel at gathering and safeguarding wealth. Uh, your charisma score increases by two, and your intelligence score increases by one. These are, are I think, supposed to be, um, like, because tieflings did not have sub-races before, uh, I think these are supposed to be, like, replacing um, the, the ones that you would get. Because basically, it, it, the, what they're saying is that um, the tiefling in the player's handbook is the tiefling of Asmodeus, right? And it's like, that's that's the traits that you get. 
But the Tiefling of Mammon is like charisma score increases by two and your intelligence score increases by one. Legacy of Minaros. You know the Mage Hand cantrip. When you reach third level, you can cast the Tenser's Floating Disc spell once with this trait and regain the ability to do so when you finish a short or long rest. When you reach fifth level, you can cast the Arcane Lock spell once with this trait, requiring no material component, and regain the ability to do so when you finish a long rest. That Sorry, that was... The, the, the PDF is sort of, like, fucked up. Charisma is your spellcasting ability for these spells. That's cool! That's really... Like, I love that there are, like... Uh, how many of these are there? There should be nine. Eight, nine. Yeah, there are nine, right? But the names of the sub-races pertain to, like, the, 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 the infernal being connected to the Tiefling subfamily, and more, more importantly, because obviously you could just ignore that as just a name, is the name of your infernal legacy pertains to a person or place associated with that uh, archfiend. And I'm like, I don't want that crap baked into, like, the, the things that a player is going to see when they look at the page. It's like, so, uh, Dawn Sombers Cosmology has nine archfiends. It's true. Um, it actually has ten, but you can't be a tiefling of, uh, of a Taramaxu, because, I mean, you actually probably can, and I should figure out, like, what those look like. So, this is the thing that, that really bothers me, and I had to do some research. I've done, I have actual notes for this episode, if you can believe it. Because I looked up how Paizo handled this, because I remember when I was reading the comments on a, uh, what was it called? It was um, Pathfinder Horror Adventures, which is a supplement that lets you put um, supernatural horror, horror elements into Pathfinder in such a way as they weren't already. Um, I remember one of the designers in a comment that I believe must now have been deleted, saying that it was Pathfinder's policy that content for Galarian, which is their marquee setting, would be uh, released only... Basically, it would be released everywhere, but it wasn't allowed to be released in the uh, Pathfinder RPG line, which was like, these are the core rules, and this is where a lot of the like expansions to the game that we expect most people to use will come in. That was their policy up until 2017. And now, apparently, Galarian content has been sneaking into the, the Pathfinder RPG line, and a lot of people are quite unhappy at the amount of campaign fluff that may be present in the source books for Pathfinder 2. But that's a whole conversation that I did not have time to read that is also about a game that I do not play. Because here's the thing, Pathfinder sucks ass. But in terms of... It's weird because I think Paizo is actually the better company like working with the content, like with the, the product that they have. I think um, the art that they use um, is generally like... Like, I know Wizards of the Coast is trying to be more inclusive. I think Pathfinder are actually, like, achieving it in non-cringy ways that actually, that they can actually back up more. Yeah, I, I would actually agree with that, yeah. Like, I, I don't... I think Pathfinder is... I understand why it's that way, because it wants to be, like, very, very open source, almost. I understand why Pathfinder is so complicated, because that's the issue I have with Pathfinder. To an extent, Pathfinder has to be like that, because... Yeah. Um, because of the OGL, right? They're still yes. working off... I think, like, possibly the, the, the reason that they want to create Pathfinder 2 is that they want to actually, like, try and reduce their dependency on the on the third edition OGL and, like, make something that is actually theirs. Um, but no, like, uh, I like a lot of their artwork. You do have to have a taste for Wayne Reynolds because they basically use just him. Um uh, some of the the magic art that he's done, I like. Um, he 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 makes things very 
pointy and sharp and scratchy. And uh, some people like that and some people really don't. Uh, I like their goblins as well because um, they're interesting and very goblin-y without, without having really big noses, which is like a whole thing uh, to, its, to itself. Like, that one's really difficult to explain to players, though, because you're like, I have to go into, like, a pretty exhaustive history of the anti-Semitic imagery used in Europe and the connection to mythical creatures. And we're not going to do that because we have four hours to play D&D, and you are a new player who doesn't know me from Adam, so it probably wouldn't be in good faith. That kind of thing. So, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I think Paizo are the better company with the worst product. I guess that's a hot take here. Right? Yeah. Um, like... Like, Pathfinder is absolute garbage, because uh, it's like, hey, what if you wanted to... What if you wanted to have all of the things that were bad about 3rd edition, and also, like, other things have been fixed, but not any of the things you care about? It's basically, like, the Bitcoin of 3rd of edition D&D. It's like, we're going to expend a huge amount of effort and resources to fix something that wasn't actually wrong with this otherwise very problematic product. Yeah. But I like a lot of what Paizo... I, I'm couching here by saying I like a lot of what Paizo do as a company because companies in general are bad. And also, like, I imagine that somebody's going to fucking come for me in the comments because of, like, something awful that Paizo have done as a company. They have existed for quite a while. So it is eminently possible that uh, they have, like, you know done that for three fucking ways of determining whether something can hit you by the way like why was that not the first thing to cut um but no like like i like a lot of what paizo do especially around pathfinder i think um their policies on inclusive gaming are a lot better than wizards of the coast i think their policies on uh gaming for new media is a lot better than wizards of the coast they got on the bandwagon of like selling high quality pdfs with a sort of DRM system uh, that that made them happy, while not like like people could still share around their their PDFs. But basically, if you if you resold it, the PDF would have the person's name on it that it was sell, sold to. That's the thing. Um, so that's that was great. Like uh, Paizo, I think are, are light years ahead in the game on that. It's just that their product sucks. Um, but I, I thought, yeah, even in this, they were ahead of the game. Because, like, I remember, um, I don't remember, it was Mark something, this, this designer, saying it has always been our policy, because at the time it was, and it had, to separate um, Galarian-specific uh, crunch content from the regular rulebook. I think he, he was responding, I think, to somebody who was asking, why is there not more Galarian stuff in uh, Pathfinder Horror Adventures? And it's like, well, because because Pathfinder Horror Adventures is a core supplement. So we're not, we're not doing that. Mm. And I think for a while that's what Wizards did, and then they decided not to do it because they wanted more people to buy books. And it's like, hey, Watsi, you you would not have to do that if you actually embraced the internet age and new media in general regarding, like how your books are distributed <laughs> and they've done D&D Beyond and it's fine but D&D Beyond is basically like a distribution system for piddling little bits of content that come from other sources and also like digital versions of the source book that they still control and can take away from you at any point yeah and it's like there's other stuff as well but basically as long as you're still printing books as your primary like way of distributing this content you are going to run into this issue that books especially you know, really nice, uh, like, glossy hardcover books, uh, like the ones that you print, are expensive to make. 
And as such, you have to be prepared to see a degree of return on your investment. And it's, I don't know. I, I feel like the, this is the decision that they've made is that like, we're just going to print books for the Forgotten Realms and they're going to have crunch in them. And anybody who wants to like unpick the crunch to use in their own, own worlds is going to have to like do that themselves. And fuck that. Like, I... The, the, I think also there's a certain amount of you know how Nintendo um, constantly lowballs the amount of uh, like co stuff that they need to make because of the GameCube. Y y yes. Like, like people complain, it's like, oh, you didn't you didn't order for enough like Switch units to be made, or you didn't order for enough oh, yeah. like, 3DSs uh, to be made, or, or enough yeah. like, copies of this first party title. And it's because of the GameCube. It's because the GameCube was a massive commercial failure that nearly bankrupted the company. Oh boy, yeah. Oh, and oh. they are, they are still salty about that and oh. still like gun shy about like ordering even like for something that has proven itself to be a success, like a new version of it. They're still like, oh, let's just yeah. make a few. And then they run into problems, obviously, where like um, they can't just buy more uh, production time. They have to wait their turn um, in factories and whatever. So that I think that that's sort of how Watsi have like handled the idea of content that that players and GMs can use to um, create their own content. You know, you know like uh, spread their own ideas because of the third edition OGL. I think they are still reeling because of how badly the third edition OGL screwed them over, and it's like. I know, guys, I know that for you personally, that was a really bad time. Um, and your primary competitor exists because of that mistake that you made, which is kind of funny. But also, this is the lifeblood of the game, right? We've talked about this before on the podcast, about how, like, to a certain extent, a game as generic and as widespread as Dungeons & Dragons, because for God's sake, guys, please play another game. I love D&D. Uh, I play D&D a lot. I sometimes get upset when I see, like, indie RPG fans being, you know, the, the things that are, like, um, anti-Harry Potter action, read another book? Yeah! They're like, they're like that. No, fuck off. Yeah, J.K. Rowling's a piece of shit, and it's not the perfect book series, but it's important to me, and you you leave Draco Malfoy alone, you bastards! You know, and yeah. Then, and, then, and then you find out that it's not about the people who just enjoy reading harry potter because yeah. harry potter was honestly fine especially for the age that we were the problem is with like the people who are so entrenched in like harry potter as a way of framing conflict in their lives yeah that if you don't explain like a political situation to them in a way that involves death eaters they don't understand it and yeah. it's the same thing with D D. it's like when people say anti D D action play another game they don't mean me they mean the people who are like Here's a thing that I actually want to play instead of D&D, but because D&D 5th edition is all I know, I'm going to, like, heavily warp the system in order to support playing that. Like, for instance, why why was the Rick and Morty supplement a D&D thing? Yeah. There's why? no reason whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, may maybe I, I haven't played it. I haven't read it. I don't know if it's, like fantasy, like, high fantasy themed. It might be. But 
Rick and Morty, you uh, somebody suggested that uh, I think it was my friend Niall suggested that uh, Lasers and Feelings is probably a game that you'd want to make Rick and Morty work in, or alternatively, make a Powered by the Apocalypse game, which can very easily fit something like Rick and Morty in. Uh, and you know, it's probably better because, like, honestly, that show is the reason why the Rick and Morty fans think they are smart meme is funny is because the show is about a man who diegetically is smart. It is not actually an intelligent show, and it is not trying to be. It is a, like, pulpish cartoon about a mad scientist. God, like I've just... Yeah, I've just realised one of the reasons why I like Rick and Morty is because I like Futurama, and I'm always trying to recapture Futurama seasons 1 to 4 in my head, yeah. Right, it's, okay. it's, it's yeah. a vaguely, like... <laughs> it, it has a degree of, like, adult Futurama energy, which is not to say yeah. that Futurama itself wasn't adult, but Rick and Morty goes a little, like, more gross out, I guess. Yeah. Um, why was that 5th edition? Why, why was that 5th edition yeah. D&D? There is no reason whatsoever for that to be 5th edition D&D. It should have used a more, like, either invented its own system or used, like, a tried and true engine like Powered by the Apocalypse that would have worked. Because, like, I think either uh, Powered by the Apocalypse... Powered by the Apocalypse probably would have been better because I think uh, the other one I would suggest would be the Legend of the Five Rings slash Seventh Sea system. But I think that one sort of acknowledges that it's all a show a little bit more than Rick and Morty, like wants to do so check powered by the apocalypse which is just about cool people doing cool shit which is what rick and morty is about i mean they're not they're not likable people but they're nevertheless cool people because they could they can they have like a lot of interesting shit and they have like a character into play that's like fun and it's worked it's like why was this D D? it doesn't need to be yeah. D. it shouldn't why? have been D. yeah but there's this whole like fifth edition has been too successful and now D D is like the only game that people think exists. It's kind of why, even though apparently it hasn't worked out quite as well for them in terms of viewership, I'm glad that the Adventure Zone moved away from 5th edition. Yeah, I agree. Like, yeah. I mean, like... Uh, like I crit- Critical Role is never going to move away from d d right? It kind of can't, can it? <laughs> no, it can't. Whereas Taz is like a little bit smaller, but it still has a reasonably big following, and it's not tied down to like playing D&D, so... They can they can showcase these like other games which are also fun. I'm super stoked to play Monster of the Week. I have enjoyed in the past playing things like Traveler, which is a very good game. It do- doesn't necessarily one shot well. Uh, in the future, I want to play Call of Cthulhu with some of you guys. And uh, when I've finished uh, Track Dogs, I want to I want to probably play it on a game of Bards. Oh yeah, I should point out Critical Role does do one shots that are set because if we don't, we're gonna get people are gonna say. <laughs> It does do one shots and it has done one shots set outside that. Like it's just put up a call of Cthulhu at the time of speaking. Put up a call of Cthulhu one shot, which I'm watching through at the minute and enjoying. It's done honey heist and stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Which you know it's fine, but like they do that as one shots because like yeah, they're because one they, shots. They know but... they know that they can't like maintain their audience through like basically it's not what people signed up for. No, yeah, and I understand that to some degree. If, by the way, you are interested in a uh, a tabletop role-playing series by a group of people who did want to ensure that that was what people signed up for, I encourage you to check out Loading Ready Runs Dice Friends. And by ah, check yes. out Loading Ready Runs Dice Friends, I mean don't watch the first campaign because it's D&D 5th edition and it's, it's fine. It's not super great. I would suggest starting with... Um, Music of the Spheres, which is a Call of Cthulhu campaign DM'd by Cameron Lauder. It's really good, and it's actually quite scary. Hmm. Um, beyond that, there is also, if you do want 5th edition, um, Kathleen got an incredible success with By Law and Order, which hmm. is about uh, like 
middle management bureaucrats on Ravnica trying to get all ten guilds to agree on a like minimum amount of bad product that should be in sausages, and the problems that they encounter while trying to do that. It's, it's basically <laughs> about like the little people who aren't superhero planeswalkers in Magic the Gathering just trying to do their jobs. <laughs> and even if you don't know anything about Ravnica, um, she does like quite a lot of upfront um, like box text that you would need to know or kind of need to know. And uh, the, the players are very funny. The characters are very good. I really do recommend it. It's, it's very, very nice. But start with Music of the Spheres because it's, it's spooky and you'll love it. Um, <laughs> so that's the, I guess that's... Uh, I, I should be getting money from them uh, probably. I don't, I don't know that Graham will agree to send me a check. I know. I, I like, it's, it's like, you know, not to slay on another actual player podcast that I actually think is very good because I think the music's really good. I think it's well put together and well edited. I think mm-hmm. the homebrew retrofit of like what they did to fifth edition was really good but roaring trainers which is like a pokemon podcast set in the 1920s uses like fifth edition dungeons and dragons as its baseline and i don't necessarily think that's the best for like a pokemon rpg like i i agree but in fairness to them i have played a fifth edition conversion for uh for pokemon that given that it is apparently not the one used by the Roaring Trainers, cannot be better. Like, <laughs> I had a lot of fun playing the system. I don't, I don't like, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. Cause it's like, if I had a lot of fun playing this system that was bad, the system that the Roaring <laughs> Trainers uses, which is presumably better, is probably, like, also fun. I imagine, I've heard from a number of people that it's fun to listen to, so I imagine it's fun to play. But it was yeah. like, I needed a fucking... If I go into my characters, because this is where I keep all my character sheets from past games, these are all form-fillable PDFs, except the one that's Oath, which is the character that I was playing for this game, which is an XLSX. Uh, And if you don't know, that is the proprietary format for Microsoft Excel, because you needed a, like, specialized sheet with Excel macros to actually play this game. And it's just, I think the major thing that weirds me out about using 5th edition for that is that, like, your character... The, like the trainer is not relevant and should not have stats no there's I agree. no reason whatsoever that you should have any of that shit because like the pokemon are the like even in this homebrew it made it explicitly clear that trainers cannot fight or yeah. interact with the world mechanically in really any meaningful way because that's pokemon right it's your pokemon who do all the shit so it's i don't know I don't know. I mean, I mean, like, yeah, like to an extent of like doing stuff like that would be difficult for a human being to do in real life. Yeah, but like, mm-hmm. like the human is the face of that team. So like stuff like charisma is still a check you could do. Intelligence and wisdom. Yeah, sure. I, I think I think actually, yeah, that that was the sort of thing that was allowed. And it's like, well, this probably works, but why? Why are you using? Because a lot of the time, what it feels like is this is a heartfelt yearning desire to have a generic system that you that is reasonably easy to use that can have the thing that i want to play planted on top of it and it's like those exist and fifth edition dungeons and dragons is not one of them and never was trying to be no i don't think so it's better than if you used like third edition dungeons and dragons or fucking pathfinder god forbid but like use Powered by the Apocalypse, for instance. Or if you want something more crunchy, use GURPS, which was literally built for this. It's it's just weird that it's... Uh, and it's like, if those people are happy, like, playing with the system that they have, then 
on an individual level, that's fine. But on a, like a meta level of it really feels like a lot of these people don't understand that other games exist and are good and can fix the problem they're having. Like, it's very worrying because it's sort of like, imagine if all like internet animators made cartoons that were like, that used the Disney style because Disney had become such a like a monolithic entity in animation that they genuinely did not understand that you could make that you can make animations that don't look like that. Oh, I I I am going to have to be like there is a real world example of this that you're thinking of. All adult cartoons look like Family Guy. They do actually. That's yeah. I yeah. think part part of that is a cost thing. Um, but yeah, they they really do. Yeah. This is the problem, is that, like, 5th edition is not bad. I like the system, I like the game, I like playing I, it in, like, I a do. big, long campaign. I, I, yeah, I like, fi- but, I don't like their rules for chasing, but I like 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons very much I don't so. like their rules for helping people do things. I think they are too restrictive, because it's either a, like, group check, which feels very formalised, or yes. it's the help, the assist action, which can only involve two people. There's basically no real, like set up for if two people want to help you do a thing yeah. that they should reasonably be able to help you do. Yeah. Uh, and so I've, I've just been using like group checks more often now because I feel like that's the best, without writing something myself, that's the best uh, solution. But um, I really wish that there were like something for that. And that's the kind of thing that you potentially could bring out in a like splat book. But, mm. but um, yeah, it's like, it is okay, I guess, if you want to warp D&D 5e to like reflect your own weird Twisted desires. desires. <laughs> I wish you wouldn't, but it is yeah, okay. Like if, if you, you can, if you do. but please like, don't. You know, like you know, you can. Basically, as don't. long as you know that <laughs> it's like watching somebody like use a rock to like bash in a nail, and you're like, that's gonna work for you eventually. But you know, hammers exist, right? Like you know <laughs> that that this is a solved problem. Uh, if you if you just want to like have a, a mess around and like build like a, a reasonably rules light RPG, I really encourage you to check out Simple World, which is basically Apocalypse World with all the like serial numbers filed off, so that people can use it to build Powered by the Apocalypse games. Uh, it's free. I don't remember where you get it, but if you Google Simple World, you find it, and that's uh, that's what I'm using as like the the template to build uh, track dogs along with like what I like out of monster of the week track dogs will be nothing like monster of the week. So it's mainly more, it's like what kind of um, gameplay stuff do I want to encourage, which simple world itself says there's something you should pay attention to. But <sighs> I realize we haven't really talked about the circle of eight yet. Do we want to talk about the circle of eight? Cause uh, yes, let's another... talk about the circle of eight or the circle of uh, 13 or 14 or 19. Or well, yeah, here's the thing, because I, I looked this up. I looked this up on Wikipedia, because I was like, I know that the Circle of Eight originally started as eight player characters that Gary Gygax had, because back then, you uh, you used more... You had more player characters at a time. You had, like, a little little army of them. And uh, sometimes you'd use them all at once, and sometimes you'd be like, I think I'm going to use uh, Basbo Blabbins today. Um, and I'm gonna like you know come out and do... it was all really kind of West Marches come to think of it. Um, so uh, basically, also because Gary Gygax had this idea that was like codified in original D and D and AD and D quite a bit that you sh- uh, that basically characters should grow out of adventuring. That eventually, when you became very high level, you 
stopped adventuring and you've got a stronghold and you hire people to do adventuring for you and that kind of thing. So uh, Mordenkainen, I think, was the uh, the character who did that for all his other PCs and they built this enormous citadel and whatever that they uh, went out to fight evil from and it was like their superhero base. This is part of the reason why I'm bringing up this subject at all. I'm wondering if I can get uh, Beth at all interested. So when, when Wizards of the Coast bought TSR and made Gary Gargas leave, they owned the names of his characters because he codified them in the product that Watsy had bought. So they decided that they were going to make like a different um, mythology for the Circle of Eight. And I'm not going to... You can go and read fucking Wikipedia, which doesn't have any uh, conflicts at all on, on this subject, so I presume it's correct, about the Citadel of Eight and the Circle of Eight that followed it to find out exactly where everybody fits in this. But here are the 13 people who have over the course of time, being part of the Circle or Citadel of Eight, or a clone of them has been part of the Circle of Citadel of Eight, because there was a point where all of them except Mordenkainen got fucking killed, and then he <laughs> cloned them all back. It was weird. Uh, if, Mordenkainen, you, if, if all your friends are dead, it's fine, just clone your own. Apparently, like, an entire, like, genocide happened because he was busy doing that and not stopping the genocide from happening. <laughs> Mordenkainen, oh. <laughs> So fuck Mordenkainen, basically. But no, it's uh, Mordenkainen, Bigby, Bucknard, Drawmidge, Leomond, Nistel, Otto, Rary, Otteluk, Jalazi Salivarian... Wait, wait, wait. Otto and Otteluk aren't the same person. Otto and Otteluk are not the same person. What the fuck? Jalazi Salivarian was the first woman in the Circle of Eight. Oh, cool. She was not even part of the original Eight, because fuck Gary Gygax, I guess. Uh, Warnes or Varnes Starcoat? Alhamazad the Wise, and an elf called Theodane Eriason. So uh, there you go. There's 13 of them. Not at the same time. I think they've only had a, the maximum of nine um, at the same time, but, but there's 13 of them in, in total. And first of all, Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes can fuck off with its implication that like basically all settings have to involve Mordenkainen because he can travel to all planes, to all universes, and it's like, no. Uh, Not mine, he can't. Modern, modern Kynan can modern go back to the plane no. he came from. Yeah, fuck off. Modern, modern Kynan, more like modern. It's like we don't fuck need this. And... Um, but basically, like the the reason why I, I initially wanted to call this episode "Removing the Circle of Eight is some of the Circle of Eight you may have recognized the names of, even if you're not like up to speed on your Greyhawk lore. Um, you would recognise Mordenkainen because he has an entire fucking source book named after him. But you'd recognise uh, Bigby, Drawmidge, Leomond, Nistel, Otto, Otteluk, uh, possibly Rary, I haven't actually seen. Uh, you would recognise their names and you would think, well, uh, well, why? Why, why do I yeah, recognise their names? Who, 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 are, who, who is on? Why is his dance irresistible? In fact, actually, do you know what? I might have missed one. Tensor! Yes, sorry. Uh, Fourteen. Tensor was one of them. Well, what about uh, Tasha? Who's Tasha then? I don't know. I don't know who Tasha is. Um, but well, because Tasha... Tasha's hideous laughter, and that's that's the thing. Well, yeah, this is the thing that we're going to get to. Is that like um, these all have names attached to spells in the spellbook? Yeah. Uh, I presume Tasha was somebody else, but uh, this is the thing. Some of these spells are named after people. Yeah. On the Le- face of it, that's cool and fine because like. You know, sometimes you would imagine that a wizard who invented a spell would name it after themselves. Because wizards... Look, what's the point in being, like, a giant nerd who lives in a tower 
if you don't occasionally get to name the shit you invented after yourself. It's like, if you're not doing it to massage your own ego, why are you doing it? Yeah, Snip for, really for missed a, out. For a love of academia? Yeah. You nerd. Get out of yeah, the so, Severus Snip really missed out when he didn't name all of his like spells that he invented in Half Blood Prince after him. Like he, he should have been like, uh, and this is, um, oh, fuck, what, what's one of the ones that he made up? Fuck, hang on. <laughs> Was it um, Septa Sempra? Wasn't that Septa yeah. He should have like named one that it just, like, Snape De Sempra. Yeah, he, he should have named it Snape De Sempra. Because, like, Harry wasn't going to figure it out. How was a fucking dumbass? He should have just been like, yeah, so this spell is called um, Snape De Sempra. Uh, and you this just one's... keep writing, it's named after Severus Snape, who is me. That is who I am. <laughs> that is Harry who I am. Hmm. And Harry's like, God, who could the Half Blood Prince be? I just don't know. And fucking. Fucking, fucking Snape's like, oh my god, he's so dumb. <laughs> he's such an idiot. <laughs> mm. But, you know, on the face of it, this this seems cool, right? It's not cool. It's actually a massive pain in the ass. It because, is kind of annoying, yeah. Because all of those names are product identity. What yeah. that means is, uh, if you use them, if even to refer to the spell in your homebrew... Uh, Wizards of the Coast will get extremely angry and litigious, and they will make you go to copyright jail, or I mean, probably just like pull your stuff off uh, off yeah. the, the DM's guild, or yeah, wherever which is really annoying it. because they made it that no, way. No, sorry, they will not. They will not take it off the DM's guild because you are allowed to use it on the DM's guild. They All right, okay, it. but they made it that way. Why'd they make it that way? If they're just you fucking well, new people. Well, here's the thing: they didn't. I am getting angry about this now. You've convinced no. me. This is fucking Beth, shit. This is terrible. I've got Beth angry about the thing that I'm actually just about to explain why she should be less angry about. I didn't even care before. Now I'm mad. So here's the thing. Um, this is a problem. This specifically is a problem that wizards themselves have actually attempted to address. Okay. Because some of those spells turn up in the SRD. For yes. The, for fifth edition. Uh-huh. And obviously it's like, well, we can't put product adi- product identity in the SRD because that's, that's bad. Yeah. That's bad and mean. And also it releases that because we we assure them that everything in the SRD is OGL content. We're basically giving up that product identity. Um, so those spells, uh, let me see if I can find one. Mordenkainen's Faithful Hound, Mordenkainen's Magnificent Mansion, Mordenkainen's Private Sanctum. So if we uh, say Faithful Hound, which is a fourth level conjuration spell. Uh, Faithful Hound. It's just called Faithful Hound. Uh, yes. Similarly, if we try Magnificent Mansion, which is a seventh level conjuration spell, we find Magnificent Mansion. Good, and yes. Private Sanctum, which is a fourth level abjuration spell, we find Private Sanctum. Good. So, so if somebody was coming to you and their, yeah, Lehman's tiny hut is also just tiny hut. I believe um, Abanazar's scorcher, which is one of them, and I'm surprised Abanazar isn't. Uh, is he? Is he in there? He's not. Uh. Abanazar apparently not one of the circle of eight. He's somebody else. Um, Abanazar's scorcher. Oh, hold on. No, sorry, what? never mind that one because that was from Xanathar, so it wouldn't be in the. SMB. What do they? Here's a question. What do they do about Big B's hand? Is it just called Big Boy's hand? Uh, actually, no. Hold on, Bigby's hand, because um, it's it's something else. This is the thing I was trying to get to. Because obviously, with the Mordenkainen's ones, you just cut off Mordenkainen's name. It's fine. yeah, like when it's um, just you know, but Bigby's, Bigby's hand, hand. It's just you can't just call a spell hand. Fifth level evocation. They <laughs> called it uh, arcane hand. Oh yeah, all right, yeah, cool, cool, yeah. It's like, so so if a new player came to you and their only source was 
the SRD for some reason, then you would not have a problem explaining to them that because these characters don't exist in your setting, the spells have different names. But if, like, they're not going to do that because even if you don't got money, the OGL uh, SRD is not the document that you would be, like, coming and, and using as, like, a basis for playing the game. You would use, like, the basic rules PDF or something. It's like, that's like being like, oh, okay, um, I don't have money to play th this video game. So instead of playing the demo version, I'm going to use, like, the old open source version and compile it myself as, like, I'm not going to do anything with it. That's just how I play this game. It's like, no, why would you do that? Or I guess, like, you know, better than even... Oh, I'm not going to play, like, the free version. It's like, well, no. That's not going to happen, and you can't rely on that happening, which is is, is my point. This is annoying. Um, because, obviously, that kind of player, you could tell they would just they would be okay with it being called Arcane Hand, assuming you didn't want to call it something else. But a player who comes to you with the PHB, and you're like, well, it's not called Bigby's Hand because Bigby doesn't exist. They're like, okay, I don't... That's not important, and it will be confusing for me because that's what it's called in the book, so call it Bigby's Hand. And so normally, when you would have like a conflict between what the player wants to believe about your setting because it's easier and helps them reference the book or their own knowledge better, um, with a historical figure, like for instance, if your player wants to use a Molotov cocktail, uh, you could go the Bloodborne route and just have it be called a Molotov cocktail and have no explanation whatsoever for why it's called that. Or you could call it something else. You could, like, I think you call it like Alchemist's Fire or something of that sort. Or what I do as a quick fix is just create an XP of Molotov. Well, not an XP of Molotov. Like, um, I have created, like, an XP of René Descartes, just so that I can reference Cartesian space and not have it be weird. Um, but, like, yeah, okay. In Don Somber, Vitamir Molotov was a dragonborn revolutionary widely credited, apocryphally, as per the current consensus, with the invention of the incendiary device known as the Molotov Cocktail. Uh, a rare chimera of brass and green dragon heritage, Molotov was a key figure in, the, in a number of dragonborn-led organizations uh, between 388 and 404MY that sought to violently oppose the factions of the Elven Empire and its government, particularly, though not exclusively, when those actions pertain to infringement on dragonborn territory or attacks, violent or not, on the dragonborn people. So I made him like a revolutionary, whereas like the actual Molotov um, was... Like, he didn't invent the Molotov cocktail. He... Um, he was the Russian president at the time, I think. Basically, the Molotov cocktails were being used against him, and it was a joke about how he was um, pretending to like the international community that what was being dropped on Finland were um, like bread baskets, like food drops, basically, um, to to the people when actually they were bombs or tanks. I guess I don't remember. The point is, they were doing military incursion into Finland, and the Finns were like, "Oh, we're going to make a joke." Uh, about like, oh, well, if you're bringing food to us that is obviously tanks, we are going to throw the drink, which is this alcohol that explodes. So you can do that. If the obstructive problem is a name that Wizards of the Coast have made, you can't really do that. You kind of can if you distributed your own, like, like your own content to your players. But you can't, like, if you make a character like that, you can never put them in anything public that you publish about your setting because they... They like they infringe on product identity. So I just hate this because it's like it's like Watsy just rubbing their grubby little hands all over absolutely everything in the game, being like, "Well, principally, you are allowed to create your own content, but we're going to make it really difficult for you." 
And I bet people will... I bet fucking bootlickers, actually, will come into the, the, the comments and be like, well, you know, they're a business, they're allowed to do that. And I'm like, well, they are, but it doesn't stop them from being assholes because literally the function of their product relies on them en masse not doing that. And I mean, of and... course, they, they can have their own setting and stuff like that. And of course, you can assume that maybe people are going to play in that setting i i understand that and stuff like that and it's fine if you want to like be like well the majority of dms probably aren't gonna have their entire setting be made from scratch which i guess is a reasonable assumption but also like is it though is it it's just it's not a difficult leap from players want to play like their own way like we talked about this in the episode about the ogl that like the ogl is a necessity because creating content out of the game is what the game is fundamentally asking you to do it is and restricting yeah. that to like oh you can only play like the 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 stuff that we say that you can play is s- silly yeah that's not how the game works so mm-hmm. i just it really annoys me that they have done this much to like properly wipe the forgotten realms across everything that might be mechan- mechanically interesting to use it really bothers me, and yeah. uh, it bothers me also that Pathfinder is apparently like stopping their otherwise very good policy of not doing that. Mm. But like, I I really think that like this is just um, I don't know that I'd be so pompous as to call it anti-consumer, but it's definitely like hostile to creative <laughs> DNs, yeah, who want to like do something different with the content that they're given. It's like, well, you you have to make your own version of this content and you're not allowed to share it with anyone once you've expended the effort on making it because that would be <laughs> like not cool and a contravention of our yeah like content rights and it's like well why did you do that then i know like someone like like this is like, cuz like it's stuff like their original stuff as well stuff like even stuff like beholders which are so quintessentially dungeons and dragons something also that is so iconic it's iconic dungeons and dragons people love beholders i love beholders and mm-hmm. i remember when i started to have and i was like no i just i'm not i can't use those monsters because they don't they belong in forgotten realms they're a D thing now i'm a bit more open to the idea because i'm just like mm-hmm. eh, who gives a fuck but like well, I mean, if I want to publish stuff about Dawn Somber, I have to be conscious of the fact that basically none of the like pretty extensive content pertaining to Mind Flayers can make it in. Yeah, like, I didn't. I didn't like Mind Flayers to start with, and then I realized that in Dawn Somber they're basically Daleks. Like they're evil for the sake of evil. They were artificially created by somebody who was trying to create an evil for the sake of evil race because he was a dick and he thought that like basically smart people deserve to be their own species that got to like eat everybody (laughs) and then they just hang around and every time they turn up again they have a different structure of government and a different like ridiculous plan to like take over the entirety of the multiverse and like maybe a different way of regenerating themselves uh because they've like run into a problem and they 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 mess around with time and it's like it's basically it's like i want to do all of the massive ham stuff that i really enjoyed about like classic new doctor who I'm going to do it with the Mind Flayers because they 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 get the opportunity to be cartoonishly evil. I had a player like a group of a party of players witness their creation, like actually be there when the Mind Flayer race began. So they know how and why the Mind Flayers are the way they are, and I can like convey that to other players and it's like I can't use any of that in anything that I publish about the setting because Mind Flayers are product identity and 
they've just got to be conspicuously absent the more I... Because I'm, I'm sort of digging my own grave here. I'm, like, making them more and more prevalent in the setting. And it's like, mm. none of this can get in. If I put if I put the GIF in, like, I can't. Like, obviously, the GIF are going to be in the setting, but I can't, like, publish anything to do with the GIF, even if I just refer to them by name. Because why would they be there? Who would they say created them? You know? Like, the GIF's entire thing is... Like, the entire thing about the GIF that you'll find out in Future Samba is that they're basically... They don't like it when other people fight the Mind Flayers because they, like, regard it as, like, kill-stealing. They think that they are uniquely the the people who have the divine right to destroy the Mind Flayers for the crimes against their people specifically. And any time any other group of people, some of whom they might sympathise with if they're, like, Dragonborn or whatever, get close to killing the Mind Flayers, they drop in and they're like, you have to you have to let a representative of the GIF come with you, because otherwise we're going to stop you, because this is our turf. And it's like, so if I put the GIF in, but I can only use OGL content, well, first of all, using the GIF would be kind of awkward. Um, potentially I could maybe get around some of that stuff, but, but why would they be there? What would they explain as their reason for being there? I guess, like, that really bothers me. Uh, and I, I think... Obviously, Wizards of the Coast want to produce content for the Forgotten Realms, and they want to produce sourcebook content efficiently. And I don't begrudge them either of those things, even if I think that the way that they're producing sourcebook content is sort of them, like, making the rope to hang themselves with. Like, guys, the reason why your sourcebook content isn't being profitable is because you're selling it in a really old-fashioned and unproductive way. But sure. I know that they have to do that thing. What I really would appreciate is if the source books were just less hostile to the idea that maybe people want to take what you've built or bought in the case of all the stuff that was caught of the game when they took it over from TSR and do something else with it. I can still make custom content, but I have to get players excited about that, even though it will mean basically telling them that like everything that isn't a number in your source book is wrong. And it's just exhausting at times. And it's like, oh, sometimes maybe it would just be easier to do this. And I'm like, no, because this stuff shouldn't have been in the source book to begin with. Or at least it shouldn't have been there. It shouldn't have been like the names of abilities and spells and whatever. I don't know. Um, so I guess that's my rant that Beth occasionally contributed to about the separation of church and state in 5th edition and how there isn't any. Like, I, I agree with you. I, I, I understand why it, it is ultimately very annoying. Um, it's, uh, it, it is certainly irritating, but... I would also say that while I understand the frustration, it's not something I really think about that often. I think it's, um, you know, like, as a creative DM, I think we're both willing to do the work. And it's more, I just feel bad yeah. for DMs who just wanted to not do that. <laughs> like, to be clear, like, I am perfectly willing and prepared to do the work. Hmm. The obstruction that I have is that as soon as I have done that work, I then have an uphill battle trying to engender enthusiasm in people who might be new players, especially if they're new players of the game. Like, I want to be able to play my setting with new players in the game. And they can't use any of the resources that are available to them in the way that it comes most naturally to them. Yeah. Because, because of that stuff is all like, Forgotten Realms. And it's... Yeah. I mean, even if stuff like you know, if someone comes to me like, hey, I want to play a drow and I want him to be like you know, like an exceptional drow and he's like one of the the good of his race, and you've got to be like, ooh, that's actually not how drow working my setting. I mean, to be honest, I'd be like, existing is not how drow working my setting. <laughs> yeah, but even I'd be like, oh, you see, no, being being a drow is just like being kind of a more very like more like a goth version of what um, elves are like in my setting, and more Russian. 
Um, like it's like they're a good drow. It's good and but you know, like it's fine. And I, like I understand that, like that's some of the like you know, you know, either you have to be running a setting where, or well, generally, yeah, drow are like this. But maybe there's a whole place where drow aren't like that. A lot like the current critical role campaign. There's a whole country where drow are just you know normal people. <laughs> yeah. You know, neither good nor bad. Um, and I don't. I don't believe that either of our methods are different, or indeed that we have particularly different methods. I think it's just that, like, I would do the thing that you did to Drow, except not to Drow, because Drow have burned through their good faith with me. As soon as, like, I got the book and I realised that the token effort that Wizards of the Coast had made to towards the goal of de-racismifying the ephemeral concept of the Drow was pathetic, actually, and just terrible. I, I like, agree. Well, fuck yeah. it, then. They're not they're not getting in. There aren't any drow. Yeah, there's and, no, there's no it, underdark. I'm not putting the drow in. Yeah, it was it was different for me where I was like, I ostensibly like this kind of aesthetic anywhere. I like these spider goths. I'm willing to do the work. I like their aesthetic. I like dark elves in general anywhere. It's just you know they live in a part of the world where it's generally always nighttime. They live in a colder climate up north, like Scandinavians do. So most of the day, it's the night for them you know daytime isn't something they deal with so it makes sense why they've they're the way they are and stuff like that but the underdark isn't something i'm particularly interested in like no the setting yeah. has no underdark line and i think that's why it took me such a long time to get to the mind flayers because that's generally where they live and i just wasn't interested in that yeah i i, I actually really like the mind flayers that i've built and like how they're just mm. they're cartoonish like screaming um science villains yeah it's gonna be really difficult when i go and do my mind flares to not do that with them i mean my, my concept for the mind flares is different because they live on a like planet hulk-esque kind of like mojo world like you know we steal heroic people from other realms and we put them to you know in like a reality-esque show combat thing but i'm like well that's just that one episode of doctor who so they are the daleks effectively so there's stuff I wanna I wanna get to, and I think um, it's it's very late, so we should uh, probably yeah. wrap it up here. So, what have we learned? Uh, well, what we've learned is um, fuck Wizards of the Coast, but like I mean, we said that at the at the top of the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, be gay, um, do crimes. Uh, fuck my girls. Be gay, do crimes. Um, um, if you wanna if you wanna make like your own uh, tabletop RPG like hack. Um, you can use 5th edition D&D if you absolutely must. Like, that's not a problem, you're not going to hell. But other games exist, and please check them out to see if they would work better. Mm. Um, and also, if you're a player coming into a game with a long-suffering DM who has their own custom setting, be prepared to try and, like, do some of the legwork with them. Yeah, because, like, yeah. Like, they don't want you to, but the way the Wizards of the Coast have set up the relationship between them, you, and the DM, you have to, basically. Yeah. That's the only way that it will... Like, be prepared for them to tell you that stuff has different names, that stuff works slightly differently, that just just come along on the ride on in their world and, and then, like, see if there's a part mm -hmm. of it that you that you like, that you want to yeah. explore more. See how totally. flexible they are on the subject. I'm, I'm getting more flexible uh, about my setting, but flexible to what my players want. I don't care about this is the coast or Paizo or what they want my setting to be like. <laughs> I'm thinking of that image now where it's like, um, 
isn't there someone you forgot to ask between consent and the DM? And oh, it's Christ. fucking Gary Gygax in the background. <laughs> God, no, though. It wouldn't even be Gary Gygax. It wouldn't be Gary. It would else. just be, I guess, just a random guy on this logo of, like, Wizards of the Cross, like I said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it would. Playing in a pl- pl- playing in a, a Dungeons and Dragons setting isn't this someone you forgot to ask? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, no. Anyway, um, so uh, I've been Alex. I've been Beth. Uh, before we wrap up, um, a lot of stuff has happened since we didn't make episodes for like a year. Uh, P- Patreon did um shit the bed, I guess. Um, the great and- fucking of Patreon. Yes, the great fuckening of Patreon happened, and as such, uh, everybody did like a mad scramble to get a like grab a Patreon. Um, so House of Bards has a Patreon now. Um, I don't know if any of you want to like give us money in return for doing this terrible, terrible show. Uh, but if you do, it is. I think it ought to be set up that um, it's not like a monthly payment. It's like whenever we produce content. So. Um, I think you can set like a monthly limit on that, either that or we set it. Look, I don't know how Patreon works from the not paying people um, side, so I'm going to need to like mm. sort some of that stuff out. Um, it is attached to a PayPal account that, in a very complicated way, is set up such that both Beth and I can access it. So anything that comes to us through the Patreon, um, we are probably going to split between us. Yeah. Um, it was like gonna be weighted towards Beth for a while, but now Beth has a new computer, so uh, she just doesn't have funding fine, for that. Yeah. You will be able to give me money at some point for track dogs because I'm gonna make track dogs this time. I'm really gonna do it. I really want this idea out of my head and into like a proper PDF for mm. like people to play because I love this idea. I can I can I say the concept? I think I can say the concept. Yeah, why not? That'll be our next episode. Uh, you can say the concept, and then we'll explain about it in the next episode that's oh, going to come out soon. We, we will not explain about it in the next episode. I will not have it done by then, and even if I do, it will be too early well, for a postmortem. Well, fair. Well, we'll 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 go in depth. We'll we'll do a proper pitch in mm-hmm. a later episode. Actually, probably next episode we're probably going to be talking about um the crit the critter castle retreat that I'm going to, where I'll play a lot of tabletop mm-hmm. games. Uh, and, and then there will be like uh QCon this year as well. We'll have to do an episode Ooh. about that. Um. Track Dogs is, if you've ever played Sid Meier's Pirates or any of the Akella games that followed it, or if you've ever played Seventh Sea, um, Track Dogs is trying to capture that like pirate game milieu, except it's the post-apocalyptic future, the sea is an enormous carpet of old-growth cedar forest that has encompassed the entire world, and the boats are trains. Hang on, this is the train pirate ske- sketch. My fit, my favorite comedy sketch bit of all time. I love was, this. It was bit. not even a sketch. That was like a pilot with um with Brian Blessed in it, and it's it not was quite like that. I mean, train pirates. It's a silly idea, but uh, it it takes the idea more seriously than the train pirates pirate uh, than the train pirates pilot does. Well, I um, mean, you you say like takes it most that that took it pretty seriously. It'd be fair for like a. Yeah, but it took a it seriously for like, comedic purposes. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas here it's like, there's a specific idea that I want to capture in like a specific... It's basically, it's like, I want to capture the idea of the Sid Meier's Pirates milieu. Also, I want trains to be involved. Wow. So, so it's it's it, it's going to be fun. That's going to be my, my next project after um, QCon finally goes off, I think. Um, because I, having had a proper look at Powered by the Apocalypse, I'm like, yeah, this is what I want to build train pirates in build uh, track dogs rather so i'm excited 
Um, so yes, uh, stay tuned for, don't literally stay tuned. Don't just sit looking at our YouTube page, um, waiting for new episodes to come up because you yeah, will stop fuck to man. death. Go, go like, go watch like, uh, 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 Critical Role or listen to the Roaring Trainers or mm. people who or, are better at this than we are. Fucking. Or listen, listen <laughs> like, listen to fucking Taz. Cause I'm fucking, listen finished. to fucking Taz. Cause we talk about it all the time. Yeah, fucking... the point is. Um, stay subscribed, I guess. I really appreciate those of you who have stayed loyal to us. We don't have a very large following, but you haven't really like lost a lot of the following for like not producing for quite a long time. And I really appreciate all of you. I'm sure Beth does as well. I'm not saying give us money, because I, I acknowledge that we have done nothing to deserve it. Uh-huh. Well, from, from you, um, Beth well. has done a lot of things to deserve more money than I think she's being paid by her job. But like, well, yes, for that's you. true, yeah. For you. Um, other options to give us money in return for or not in return for, like, stuff that you get um, will probably be forthcoming. So, again, we can't guarantee when the next episode of House of Vars will be, but it really seems like we're all so brimming with hashtag content that we want to just vomit all over you that if we don't make more episodes, we'll probably just burst. So look out for them at some point. We will do an episode about the next QCon. We will do an episode about the uh, Critter Castle retreat that Beth and Maxi are going to. There will be stuff. Bye. Say goodbye, Beth. Bye. <laughs>
but we made like an original show and the animation was better because it was actually like built for purpose as opposed to just like essentially a YouTube poop. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because that's what those shows are. Yeah, but I, I mean, you know, what we're talking like, you know, talk about Adult Swim, like adult animation wasn't always like Family Guy, but worse. No. If that's even possible. It, you know, adult animation wasn't always just animated sitcoms. It was like a huge variation of it. And Simpsons was like part of that and stuff like that. And it, it, it was all very different looking and stuff like that. And you had like, you know, you know, like adult, like animation aimed at adults, but it was like high fantasy or science fiction or whatever. Or, you know, yeah. a spy thriller like Archer was. But like, they've kind of been lost to time now because they aired on, you know, cable networks at like 3 a.m. And they weren't The Simpsons, or they weren't like The Simpsons, or people just sort of forgot them, you know, yeah. which is, you know, kind of sad. It wasn't always that way in The Simpsons. As much as I love early Simpsons, and I, I understand why it was so influential, kind of, you know, fucked over um, we've, we've adult animation. We've went on a tangent.